Hi, my name is Ed Sculthorpe. I'm the owner and operator of Bridgeway Sound in Hamilton, Ontario. It's a veteran-owned business, and uh, I restore a lot of instruments for local musicians. And you're listening to Talking Blues. Ed, how did you get into restoring instruments? How did that happen? Um, well, sh- purely out of passion. It was. Uh, it. I- I've always played guitar since I was uh, you know, 12 or 13 years old, and um, and I've always been a craftsman. So, in the military, I, I was a mechanical engineer, and uh, which included electronic work and, and mechanical work, uh, metal fabrication, that sort of thing. And and a passion has always been woodworking. Um, I, I worked as a Finnish carpenter for quite a while and, and cabinet maker and things like that. So working on guitars uh, is, is a marriage of all those skills. You know, it's, it's electronics and metal fabricating and, and uh, woodworking all tied into one. Did, so it just came across naturally. Did this, the ability to be handy, which I am not at all, did that come from... Your father, your mother, where does that come from? It certainly came from my dad. Um, I grew up on a farm. And, um, you know, there was always work to do. I mean, I mean, the farmhouse itself was was uh, quite dilapidated when we got there, you know. And, and uh, my parents worked very hard and, and turned it into a home, you know. And, and uh, there was always work to do. There was always fences to mend or, or walls to put up or tear down and, and um, you know, stalls to fix and... And things like that. So, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, you know, le- learned how to certainly swing a hammer properly, and and work a handsaw properly by my dad. And and uh, it went on from there. You know, I, I just I developed a mechanical aptitude, I suppose, uh, from that. And and I just carried it on through a career. How did you get into music? Was it also your parents, or how did you start playing? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think it was because my mom constantly told me to turn the television off, which was probably the best thing she could have done. And, and uh, you know, they had a record player. Um, and I remember being, being a young kid, you know, listening to, to Beatles albums, and uh, which I think, you know, everybody goes through at some point. Uh, but my dad was into to Hank Williams, Hank Williams Sr., uh, proper country. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and uh, Willie Nelson and, and stuff like that. So there was always music on in the house. And uh, my parents, uh, my dad especially, was a real aficionado of music. So, uh, yeah, I always had it around me. And then as I uh, grew older and you, you develop a, a taste for music, you, know, you start listening to it a little more intently around uh, 13, 14 years old, I think. You, you know, you, you start to... You start to be drawn to it a little more, and um, I had a crazy uncle in in the UK who uh, who had a lot to do with that. So and and friends as well. My circle of friends at the time, we were we were really into music, and uh, you know, just carried it forward. What kind of farm did your parents have? Um, well, it, I, I use the term loosely. It wasn't necessarily a farm in that we we farmed things. We had uh, a nice size property and we had horses and and uh, for a while we had we had chickens and rabbits and 
and dogs and cats and raccoons and skunks and owls and all those other things that come to live with you when you have those sort of things. So, um, yeah, we, we, we lived out, out in the country and, and, uh, that's where I grew up. It was an, it was an amazing place to be. So were you the type of person who had a guitar and thought, I need to take this apart to see how it works and then no. put it back together? Uh, strangely enough, I never, you know, with, with all the, with all the, deconstructing and constructing of things that I did growing up I, I never really started working on guitars until about I would say eight years ago wow so it's relatively new it, it's it's relatively new yeah in my in my short my short lifespan um, yeah it, it, it's relatively new in that it, it's it's an item that I've that I've worked on most recently but it, it's not something that I'm unfamiliar with it, I tend to look at them as a, it's a mechanical device. You know, right. there, there's fulcrums and, and pulleys and cables and magnets and, um, and levers and, and, you know, and, and knobs and dials and switches. And it's a mechanical device and it needs to work like that first and foremost. And uh, so when I, when I was, I knew I was transitioning out of the military. I wasn't, sure exactly when it was going to be but I was wondering you know what am I going to do with myself and um, I had a lot of friends who were professional musicians and, and I was a musician myself uh, and I thought well you know it'd be cool to be able to do something musical with it um, maybe I could you know I'll start setting up guitars or something like that and just sort of do it as a hobby on the side and I uh, started at my kitchen table and um, it went from there. It kind of went viral. It got very busy very quickly. <laughs> okay, yeah. explain that to me. So how you, you think? Well, what am I going to do? And then you think, okay, maybe I will fix guitars. Yeah. How did that happen? Like, how did did somebody say, "Hey, I got a busted guitar. Can you look at it?" Or um, yeah, well, I, I, like I said, I had some friends who were pro musicians. So so I asked them, you know, hey, would you mind if I practiced on your guitars and and uh strangely enough they they trusted me enough to to give it a try um so so i did and you know the first few jobs took took a lot longer than they take me now and give me an example of what that first job or first few jobs would have been tail. oh w w one of the first one of the first real jobs that i did was a was a refret on a okay. stratocaster and you know now that would take me that would take me a day to a day and a half um whereas then it took i think it took me two months or something just sort of <laughs> chipping away at it you know because it, it's it, i i'd done it before like um just on sort of a practice guitar like a right uh, and uh but you know this was this was the real thing this was a, a prose instrument so i needed to do it right so i i probably i probably used three times the amount of fret wire that that I should have used and you know I put one in and didn't like it took it out and tried another one and you know you just you, you work through it and then once you do that one once you get that right and then you sort of take your lessons learned and say okay next time okay how I'm do you know do if it's right as it just because as a player you would know if it feels right or yeah as, as as a player I I know that it's right um but you don't know that it's right until the owner of the instrument picks it up 
mm-hmm. and plays it. Because really. what's right to one person might not be right to another. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And and um, when it's a pro player, it's, you know, they, they can play a lot better than I can. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can test it in, in all of its, in all of its um, you know, octave registers and things like that. But I can't play it like they can play it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so really the ultimate test is getting it in their hands and, and holding your breath <laughs> and waiting for their response. Okay, this is a weird question, but you played guitar. You've always loved music and you mm-hmm. probably played ever since you were a young kid. That's right. Like music never left you no. and all the time. No. Um, did you ever consider becoming a professional musician? Was that even an option? I, I think, it, well, I mean, as kids, I think everybody dreams of that at some point in their life, you know. Um, so it, it's, it's always a dream. Um, I, I, uh, would I consider it now? No, no, not, not knowing what I know now. <laughs> but, I mean, would I, would I love to be in a band? Of course I would, you know. Um, I've, I've always been, maybe it's just my nature, but I've always been the type of person to, I like being sort of in the background, but, but being in a supportive role. Uh, that's that's what I spent a career doing in the military. That's you know I, I like I like being uh, somebody that that people can rely on to to make things work, you know, right. and and that's that's very gratifying to me as a person. So um, I I love being backstage or side stage with a band. Uh, that's kind of my happy place, mm-hmm. um, and and to me it's the best seat in the house. I totally agree. Which makes it really hard to be in the audience once you spend enough time backstage or in the side. Sometimes, yeah, because you you start listening to how everything sounds. And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, when I when I watch a show, I I always I, I'm always looking side stage as well to see what's going on. It, it's the it's the uh, it's the machine within the machine. You know, it it, uh, it it's what you don't see that fascinates me. Because you know, something had to make all this work. Somebody mm-hmm. has to switch those lights on and off, and somebody has to has to turn those knobs, and and somebody has to plug all that in. And um, it, it's it's the it's the show within the show. It, you know, somebody's moving all that stuff around, and and that's absolutely remarkable to me, especially when you go to to festival stages or or arena stages. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you see how hard they work and the way they pull it all together. It's absolutely fascinating. And, um, and being a, a small part of that is, is pretty rewarding. So having that access to, to professional musicians and seeing how things work behind the scenes, what do you think makes some of these people that you work with who they are? Like, why have those people become professional musicians and successfully making a living, hopefully, versus other people who don't? I mean, I know it's a weird question, but from your point of view, what, what have you seen that made you think, well, I'm not a professional musician. They are because... Um, wonderful question. Um, it, it's tough to tell. There's, there's so many intangible mm-hmm. things that, that you can never really put your finger on with that um it's never pure talent although that certainly has a tremendous amount to do with it (laughs) but but there's certainly a lot of people who are very talented who are still playing in the basement sure and and i see that uh at work quite a lot you know there's um hamilton is is filled with absolutely astonishing amount of 
of musical and artistic talent. And um, has it always been like that? I know that there's kind of been an, ex- an exit from Toronto to Hamilton for a lot of musicians. Yeah, in the last few years, but yeah. has I know that Hamilton has been very artsy for a long time, but has th- it always been like that? I in- think it has been. I, I really do. I uh, I started working there 25 years ago, and I, I grew up in Oakville. We we never went to Hamilton, right? Uh, ever, you know, uh, like most people, you 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 see it from the from the QEW as you're driving towards Niagara Falls, and you look over, and all you see is industrial stuff it just does not look like a very appealing place right. to visit so um as teenagers when you finally start to to go out and about by yourself you know without your parents and you're adventuring off into the world um as teenagers we would always come to toronto right and why wouldn't you it's 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 toronto i mean it has a tremendous amount going on I and mean, we'd come out here and go to grossman's or go to the horseshoe or or the racks, or right. you know, and and all of those amazing places, and uh, and Steve's music store at the time was was you know Mecca. That was that was the, the pilgrimage to Mecca. You could get a fifty dollar ticket at Maple Leaf Gardens still, mm-hmm. even though it was standing room only. Who cares? It was Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, you know what a what an amazing thing to be able to do. So we never went to Hamilton, and um, it wasn't until I started working there when I when I joined the military started to go downtown and go out and about and, and catch some of the nightlife. And I remember walking into uh, a bar in Hess Village and seeing a guy by the name of Brian Griffith play. And and uh, it absolutely knocked my socks off. And and um, What was it about him, his playing? He, he, was, he was just a, a wizard. You know, um, ask anybody from Hamilton who, who uh, who's a musician or plays guitar. They... they they would certainly agree that he was just, he was one of those beings that was simply born to play that instrument. And, you know, if you had a night off and he was playing somewhere, you went to see him. Mm. He was, he was uh, just, just astonishing and an incredibly wonderful human being too. So, um, once I saw that, I thought, wow, Hamilton has a lot to offer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not knowing, not knowing the, the, the history the musical history of Hamilton before that, which is which is deep and vast and wide, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, you know my my story with Hamilton started from there, and uh, and it hasn't stopped. You've mentioned your, your time with the Canadian Forces. Can you tell me how you that started? How did you decide to join the Armed Forces? Um, it was kind of by happenstance, really. I was I was always in in uh, trades training during high school and there was a um, what they called at the time the student workplace apprenticeship program and it was a great program they they got you uh, you know your last semester of high school and they got you four credits and they actually got you your first year of apprenticeship written off all at once uh, if you wanted to go into a trade I think there's a I don't think it's called that anymore but there's a similar program now as well uh, an amazing career path if you could do it. I didn't want to go into um, the the trade that I was practicing. I was I was in the machine shop quite a bit, and uh, I didn't want to be a machinist. I wanted to be a millwright. I wanted to be the guy that fixed the machines right. that made the stuff. That was was much more appealing to me. 
my teacher at the time couldn't find a placement for me as a millwright apprentice. But at the same time, uh, a similar program for the military, for the, for the reserves actually started. And, um, and you, you got your basic training and your, and your driver training. You got four credits. And, um, and you know, you'd, you'd have to, the, the condition is you have to sign up and join the military. Right? Right. So, so I thought, well, that's appealing too. My dad uh, served in the military in the British Army and, and my granddad did. You know, it was kind of a, a family history there. So it, it was not a, a, a career choice that, that I was unfamiliar with or that would be frowned upon. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of my backup plan. Maybe I'll go do that. And then, you know, a few years later, I'll, I'll see what life has to offer. And 22 years later, I was still there. So, <laughs> so was there any apprehension about joining the armed forces? No, no, not at all. Um, it's, it, it, it was more about making a contribution. Right. You know, as, as cliched as that may sound, it, it, uh, I, 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 I like the idea of that. Okay, so when I look at your bio, you've made a lot of contributions, especially during that time in, in helping war-torn countries rebuild or whatever and raising money. and Like, it's an impressive bio. Where does that come from, that making the contribution? Uh, well, I, I, I don't really know. Um, maybe it's just something within me. I don't know. I... I uh, I, I know that I've been very fortunate, you know, uh, we, in Canada, we're pretty much living in the, the land of plenty. Mm -hmm. Um, this is really paradise. You know, we can, we can be anything we choose to be. If you want to be a professional musician in Canada, you can do that. Um, you have to work hard and it's not an easy living, but you can do it. Right. And, um, or, you know, if you want to be anything else, you, you, you can do it. And we don't really want for anything here. And, you know, lots of people will poke holes in that statement. You know, there's all kinds of yeah. social justice, blah, 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 politics and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we sit and kvetch about those things while we're sipping our lattes. <laughs> right. And, and it, 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 we're very fortunate to be here to be living in 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 this society so um and i presume you say that mainly because you've been to other places and seen yes. other things yeah had you had any exposure to other countries before you joined the armed forces no my my parents came from the uk so i had been there quite a bit right uh to see family and things like that but i think i think there's a generational thing as well where where um, you know people that that are my age, uh, because I see veterans a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and um, and I grew up around veterans. My dad, you know, would often go down to the Legion and things like that. And people that he rubbed shoulders with were all veterans for the most part. Um, there, there's a certain there's a certain uh, character to to those people that doesn't exist as much for somebody that um that's growing up now like some somebody somebody growing up now a teenager now probably is growing up having never known or, or had a veteran in their family mm -hmm. 
who has been to the other side of the world and seen how the other half lives. Right. So, um, my generation was, chances were, if you, you came from one of those countries or um, you grew up with your dad or your granddad or your great-granddad having served uh, and, and having been to war, you know, so you, you were reminded from them that you were very lucky to be here mm-hmm. and, and they, you know, they went and stood against that tyranny or whatever you want to call it. So it was an amazing, it was an amazing time to grow up with, with those kind of male role models right. around. And I think, I think having had uh, sort of a family career tradition of, of military service just kind of made me gravitate towards that. So when you were deployed, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. where did you go first? Uh, my first deployment was to the Balkans, to the former Yugoslavia. Yeah. And was that an eye-opening experience? Sure, yeah. Yeah, we, we were there um, in 1998. So, you know, the, the, the war had more or less ended. Right. Um, there was still conflict. Uh, there was still, there was still a lot of um, very angry people, I, I, I should say. So, um, and and the damage was still there. Uh, it hadn't been fixed yet. You know, it was still it, you know didn't really have a a, a government right. um, to run it. You know, we were we were the occupying force that sort of kept kept the peace. So. Um, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing to be a part of. And not knowing that, I mean, not having experienced anything like that before, when you got there, did you feel like, did the training just kick in and did you feel, not right at home, but that you, you knew what you were doing? Um, yes, yeah, it did. We, we typically spend uh, seven to eight months or, or sometimes even a year training uh, as an organization before you you go over mm-hmm. so I was familiar with the people that I went with um, you know we were a team we were we were a, a band right in, in many ways you know um, and and very much like in music you know we, we went through a, a whole string of rehearsals before we went and did the gig right. and um, so I was very confident in my role and, and my abilities and, uh, and, and what my responsibilities were when I got there, what role I had to play on that team. So, yeah, it, it just training kicked in and, uh, you know, my eyes opened a little bit wider. Did anything surprise you? Yeah, there were lots of things that surprise you. Um, you know, we had been there for a number of years already mm-hmm. and a lot of the other guys that I uh, deployed with they were on their third or fourth trip there already so there was nothing that was going to surprise them right. you know but I, but I had them to, to sort of tell me oh yeah just wait you know just wait till you see right, right. Uh, okay you know so <laughs> so uh, yeah there, there were some things that surprise you they can they can tell you about it mm-hmm. um but until you you see it for yourself, you, you don't you don't really fully take it in. 
PTSD is something that a lot of people talk about. And I would presume you see things that you don't you don't expect to, or this, you know, depending on where you are and the circumstances or whatever. Um, how do you how does one prepare for something like that? Um that's a very good question too. Everybody metabolizes their experiences very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the very best people, or, or you know, people that you think are, are some of the very best people. You know, you you might look at somebody and think, "Wow, you know, that guy's really got it going on. He's he's everything that that I would want to be as a as a soldier or as a as a as a tradesman or, or something like that." And then you see them get into situ- in a situation and and they break down and you wonder why and and it's there's no way to to um predict it right you know no matter no matter the amount of training or counseling or preparation or anything like that you you just don't know how you're going to react until you get into that situation um so uh, and in the same token, you know, some of the people that you might think would be more vulnerable to it step up in a situation like that, and it doesn't affect them as much, and uh, and they can they can digest it a little a little better for whatever peculiar reason. You know, there's no there's no tangible thing that you can say. Oh well, this is the reason why, right. and 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 this is the trigger, and this is the uh, you don't you don't really know. So. Um, yeah, it's a very, very difficult thing to quantify. Did were you surprised by your reaction to things? Um, no, I was. I no, I, I was okay. I, you know, I I uh, I was grateful that I had a, a very strong group around me to lean on, and. Um, yeah, nothing really bothered me that much. You know, you you, you, you kind of shake it off and, and press on. Did you take your guitar with you? I absolutely, I took my <laughs> guitar with me. Of course I did. Tell me what, <laughs> what that, what your relationship with your guitar meant to you at that time. Uh, well, it, it, it was profound. And, and you know, you, you talk about how, how you digest PTSD or, or, you know, well, you don't digest PTSD, but you... You know, you, you find yourself in cert- certain situations that may cause it. How do you get through it? For me, it was having a guitar with me um, because it was a creative outlet, or it, it was it was a, an escape module that mm-hmm. I could that I could climb inside of, in a sense. Um, and uh, and it, it allowed me to to sort of flex those those creative muscles and and. Um, and practice and, and get better at something that that had nothing to do with what I was doing or what I was doing there. Right. Um, so that was an incredibly profound skill that I was that I was very grateful to take with me. And there were other guys there too that were also musicians. One guy actually managed to to take his drum kit over. I don't know how he did that, <laughs> um, but he he found a, a he found a, a space in a sea container somehow that. That he managed to take a drum kit over there, so we had a little band, and and uh, we weren't very good, but it was fun, you know, and and uh, and we were able to do something that is, was completely unrelated to to everything that we were doing there, and it just felt so darn good. 
Was there ever a point where playing would have been dangerous? Like, are you in a situation where playing music might have been dangerous in that it might attract attention or people might shoot at you or anything like that? Or No, no, it was okay. nothing like that, no. Um, we, we had uh, a fairly well-established camp that we worked out of and um, you know it was all us there and it was kind of out in the countryside in a way um, and we were inside a building a brick building you know? so yeah we, we were fine so when you picked up the guitar there and started practicing was it like you picking up the guitar and practicing now or when you were a kid in, in your bedroom or was it something completely different um, you know it, it's funny I was thinking about that on the drive in it it hasn't really changed that much for me at all as far as when or why I pick up the guitar. And, and uh, that's not to suggest that I'm a, you know, a whiz-bang guitar player or anything like that. It's just something, it, it, it's a, it's soulless for me. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a peaceful place. Right. And, um, and strangely enough, it's, it's more to get through the average days than it is the good or the bad days. Because if you have a good day or a bad day, it it will weigh on you for a period of time. You know, so are it, we talking just in general? Or are we talking when you were Just serving? in general. Just in general, yeah. Um, maybe more so when you're serving overseas, but you know, things happen to you in life. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you have children, your dog dies, you get in a car accident, um, you know, Right. really profound life experiences that are good days and bad days or your boss yells at you right. you know or or you, you you screwed up on a something at work or something you know good days and bad days they they weigh on you and they might weigh on you for another day or or a week or a month or for the rest of your life but the average days seem to me to be the most painful because you get up in the morning and and you know off you go you go through your daily routine as we all do and you go off to work and you do your job and you come home and you have dinner and, you know, nothing really happens. It's just, you just, you, it's just a day. Right. And you sit there at the end of that day and you think, you know, that's it. Like not, the, there it is, the, the day, right. it, another day gone and absolutely nothing really remarkable occurred other than the fact that another day of my life is gone. But you can pick up a guitar and noodle around on it for 10 minutes and you can get better at something that day. And it makes that day a great day. Tell me, is that the way you approach your practice? Or whenever you pick up the guitar, is there a goal? No, no, I, I, I don't know. And I, I should, probably should be more disciplined in, in my practice with it, but I'm not. I, it, it's always, I, I don't pick it up with a goal. Uh, I, I pick it up just to see where it's going to take me. Uh, as, as cheesy as that may sound, but that's what happens. You right. know? Um, it, it does, it does. It's a, it's a journey. You know, it takes you somewhere every time. Sometimes you pick it up and it just isn't working for you, so you put it back down. But next thing you know, you, you might be sitting there for forty-five minutes or two hours later. You're still sitting there playing, and um, and that's a wonderful thing to to experience, mm -hmm. especially on an average day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read recently that Peter Frampton tries to learn something new every day, mm. playing guitar, yeah. which I think is. Pretty amazing, considering what an amazing guitar player he is. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, can you, I know that you must have learned ridiculous amount of things, but what what strikes you is 
something that profound that you learned from your time in the armed forces? Um, it, it, it's it's the most simple things. People people everywhere are just people. You know, we're, we're just people. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from, or what you look like, or what language you speak. You're, you're just just people. You know, um, we uh, we want to we want to eat good food, and we want to have a good night's sleep, and we want our children to have a bit of a better shape than we did. And um, for the most part, that's that's pretty much it. You know, uh, we were always told uh, overseas when you're overseas, you, you have to remain impartial. Right? You can't show partiality to to one side or the other. And um, that's difficult mm-hmm. quite often because you, you know you see you, you don't really care about one side or the other. You, you're standing in the middle, and um, and and that's the the role you've been given. But when you see somebody on one side um, suffering or or the, or they need help, and you're in a position that you can help them, that's very difficult. Not being able to help them because right. you have to remain impartial. But seeing that, you, you realize, hey, man, like you know, all this person wants is a bottle of water. No exaggeration. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they, they all they want is a bottle of water. That's all they want. That, that's and and that would be. That would be the most profound thing to happen to them that that year <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. is having a bottle of water um, it's incredible you know and uh, so you, you that's probably the most profound thing that that I've learned is that people are just people and and you know we, we all just need to recognize that I think and I think we, if we just did that if we just looked at our neighbor as somebody who just wants to, just wants to have a good dinner, you know, yeah. and a good night's sleep, and uh, and if we could do something to to help them towards that, then I think we'd have a much better place. But it's but it's crazy when you look around the world and the history of the world and how much conflict there is and has been and mm-hmm. continues to be, that it's it's never going to stop. And I don't know if that's just human nature or whatever. But it's crazy. It's crazy, and and I think it's because um, you know the, the the cancer of the human race is is greed. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, that's what drives all of it, really. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, the the most distasteful personal trait that we that all of us have, all of us have it, um, is greed. And and once you get a level of power that feeds it then then uh, conflict happens right yeah when you come back to Canada uh, once your time is done and I don't know how it works but you spend a certain amount of time over there then you come back yeah was it easy to adjust to coming back um because it's a completely different routine as well yeah totally different routine one of the one of the tricky things that I, I think a lot of guys struggle with when they're coming back is when you're when you're overseas you're kind of like a rock star you know you're uh you're, you're with a you're with a band of, of brothers mm-hmm. and um you've got all the all the gear all the cool equipment all the fancy stuff um you know you, you kind of you, you kind of feel invincible mm-hmm. in, in in many ways 
and uh, and you know that if if somebody were to hurt you, um, everybody around you, standing beside you, would would unleash terror on them. Right. Um, that's that's an amazing, very primal existence to have for the six months or, or a year that you're over there. So you come back and you're not that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all the, all the armor, literally all the armor has been stripped from you. Um, and, and, uh, you're alone, you know, you feel very, very alone, even though you're reunited with your family and, and, and all your friends and, and your neighbors and, and your community, you still feel very, very isolated because all of, all of that veneer has been stripped from you. You don't, you're not a rock star anymore. You're just, you're just a guy standing in line at Tim Hortons, you know, and then somebody buds in front of you <laughs> and, 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 you know, you get, you get incredibly more angry than you, than you would before. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre feeling. Yeah. Um, but it wears off uh, quicker for, for some than most. I know it's, Different, but I've, one of the musicians I talked to talked about every time he goes on tour and comes back, there's an adjustment period. Yeah, and you know he's talking like three to five weeks on the road and coming back. Yeah, so it must be quite something else when it's six months to a year and you come back. Yeah, that adjustment period it sure is. Yeah, yeah, there, there is ab- absolutely an adjustment period, and they've done o- over the years. Um, they've done a lot to to mitigate the adjustment period. Um, you know, giving us tools to to sort of decompress a little bit before we come back, uh, and that makes a big difference. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you just you just have to you sort of have to rip the bandaid off. Right. You know. So yeah. after twenty two years, you decide that you're gonna leave and find another job. Yeah. How does that? What's what's the significance of the twenty two years? Was it that you just had enough, or you just wanted to change, or no? That was um, no that 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 was it. You know, I just I felt like it was time to go. Um, and I, you know, physical ailments and things like that. I uh, to to paraphrase a a, a a comrade of mine, he he would say it's a job that you you sort of have to do at two hundred miles an hour or not do it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not everybody in the military thinks that way, but. I kind of think that way, and, and he kind of thought that way. And lots of people do, you know. If you're if you're going to wear that outfit, you got to be willing to. It's it's not unlike being a professional athlete, you know. And and um, the people that that approach it that way uh, do very well, but they don't necessarily do very well for a full thirty year career, mm-hmm. you know, because their bodies break down. And and uh, so I was at a point where where I I couldn't do the job the way I wanted to do the job. Um, and I didn't want to be, you know, sort of one of those guys saying, well, you know, I, I, I do it, but I can't, you know, because of my knees or my, you know, I didn't want to be one of those guys. And so it was time to go. Yeah. I, I got out, I think on, on a high note. And so you decide that maybe I'll do something with guitars and you take a couple months to change a fretboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide? Yeah, this is the thing. This is the thing I want to pursue. Well, it it, it went, it kind of went viral. I mean, I uh, I started at my kitchen table, as I said, and and next thing you know, I moved in, into my basement, 
uh, it was an unfinished basement and um, and I was in very short period of time I was just bursting at the seams I, I had I guess word got out or something that I was doing reasonably good work and um, so next thing you know people were lining up to get work done really it's a result of there not being enough people doing reputable work repair work to instruments right. you know so if you're if you're looking for a a low paying career <laughs> this this is this is definitely a career path you can choose because there aren't enough people doing it and um how how long did it take till you decided or you thought well you know what this is this not easy but I can do this um i i felt that right away because it it was as I said before, it's just mechanics. You know, it, they're, 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 it's a mechanical device. Right. So, but but as a player, yeah. Do you look at your guitar as just mechanics? No. <laughs> okay. No. I mean, once the machine is rolling, yeah. You know, once the machine is working, once it's turned on and 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 making sound, then it's something completely different. But when it's on a bench. In you know taken apart or the strings are off or you know when it's when it's being um, stripped back so to speak, then it's it's a mechanical device. It has to operate like that. It has to operate mechanically to begin with, right. in, in order for it in, in order to summon whatever songs are within it. But I, and I know that with your experiences of all the experiences you've had in many areas that that you've covered a lot of areas, but a guitar is more than just a piece of wood. There's electrical components and whatever, right? So yeah. how easy is it to get to know all those elements? Um, um, I don't know how easy it is to get to know, like from... Like, like, like somebody if, coming in and saying, change my fretboard to yeah. my pickup isn't working is two different, very different things to me. Right. Or yeah. the, the neck is warped or whatever. Right. All of that, when, when somebody came to you with a new problem, was it very easy to go, yeah, I can fix that? Yeah, uh, for the most part it was. Um, I, I, don't do, I don't do every job right. that comes in the shop. Um, and I'm not the best guy in town that does it by any stretch. Um, you know, and, and I'm happy to... But most of us know each other in Hamilton that, that do this kind of work. So we, we send work back and forth. Some of us are better at doing certain things than others. So um, we're, we're happy to send work back and forth to each other, which is really great. Um, you know, which, which speaks to the kind of music community that there is in Hamilton, even at that level. Mm -hmm. You know, even at at, uh, at the makers level, in a way. Um, uh, do you do you deal with makers like Luthiers? Yeah, 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 yeah. I certainly do. Yeah. In in what way does that happen? Well, I have I have. Um, a retail space in the shop that has all Canadian made products in it. So I have a number of builders who, who build guitars from uh, Montreal and Peterborough and Burlington and Hamilton uh, from all over. And um, I, I think that, you know, the creativity and uh, the innovation that's going on with guitar making in Canada alone, mm -hmm. I think if, no other country on the planet built guitars. I think we would have it more than covered. Wow. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible and very inspiring to see what's going on with uh, with guitar building 
in, in Canada. It's, it's just phenomenal. Have you ever thought about building one? Uh, no, I haven't built one yet. There's, uh, it's tough. It's tough, yeah, you know, like imagine. anything in the music industry. It's, it's tough to, to make a living. You need to get people playing them, right. pe- people of note playing them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to make a living as a guitar builder. Um, just as difficult as it is as a musician. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you can do it. And yeah. so how do you go about in your store? How do you go about representing a luthier? Uh, like other builders? Yeah, no, so, yeah, builders. Yeah, so like if somebody, you said that you sell a number of yep. uh, custom-made guitars, how does, how does one choose which ones to put in your store? Um, that's tricky too. Uh, they, um, I, a, lot of, a lot of the business is very nostalgia-based. So, you know, a lot of people want the, the, the Telecaster or the Stratocaster or the Les Paul, you know, the, the guitar that their heroes played. Right. Um, you're not going to find that in my shop at all. Um, and I don't want that. It'd be very, there's plenty of people out there building those, those types of instruments. So can I ask, because I don't know. Yeah. If, why would they build a Telecaster or a Stratocaster? Like, and, and why would somebody buy an imitation Telecaster, Stratocaster? Because is it cheaper? Is it no? You know, they're they're iconic instruments. Mm-hmm. They really are, and um, it's familiar territory. Um, there are a number of of uh, I guess you could say imitation Telecasters yeah. specifically um, that are quite reputable actually they've 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 done quite well as a brand basically basically building a sort of a boutique version of of a very basic instrument and and which is what a telecaster is um um but do they improve on it like is there like why if i want to buy a telecaster why would i not just buy a telecaster uh, yeah that's a great question <laughs> I, do, I you know uh uh, people are strange. Yeah, you, you can. I, it's it's all about the wood or right. or, or, or the pick. You know, you, you want sort of boutique quality, but you still want the feel of a vintage right. Telecaster. You can get that. You know, you can get premium selection of wood or premium selection of this and that uh, to add to it. Really, at the end of the day, if you're listening to a recorded version of it, you're not going to be able to tell if that's a 1954 Telecaster or if it's a 19 19- Right. Or 2011 yeah, yeah. Mexican one. You know, most people can't tell the difference. So, but it, it's the way it feels. And, and um, uh, the way a guitar feels in your hands will affect the way you play. Right. So. But the way it feels in your hands might not be the way it feels in my hands. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably the most, the most, um, um, rewarding thing or, or the most the most challenging thing um, that I encounter is you get these guitars on the bench and, and they might be nondescript uh, you know maybe it's it's one that's made in Indonesia or something or maybe it's one that's not very old maybe it's a newer one or uh, whatever it might be but certain ones just have a particular amount of mojo in them mm-hmm. or 
or a particular frequency of energy in them or something like that, that nobody, again, it's an intangible thing. Nobody can say, oh, this is the reason why that guitar plays so well. This is the reason why that guitar sounds so good. But it's exactly like every other guitar that, you know, that, that was built, you know, the 50 built before it and the 50 built after it, it's exactly the same. Like it was painted from the same bucket of paint. It was cut from the same batch of wood. It was, why is this one special? Nobody knows. Nobody really knows, but, but that's, that's what comes off the line. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, aside from that, there's also, you know, there's a lot of vintage guitars. People get, people get tied up with the thought of having a vintage, you know, oh, this one's a 1963, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, but, you know, just because it's 1963 doesn't mean that it's a good guitar. You know, it might be in mint condition because it plays like crap. <laughs> you know and there's and there's nothing that i can do as a as a luthier or or you know as a guy that sets guitars up to 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 fix that it's just it's just not a good guitar you know <laughs> so so it it it's a bizarre thing that 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 nobody nobody can put their finger on and that's what really drives the the passion is that you know, every once in a while you get, you get one in and you think, oh, okay, yeah, sure. You know, I've seen dozens of these. Yeah, whatever. Throw it on the bench. Let's get it done. And you get it done and you play it and you go, whoa, this is really nice. And you don't know why that is. It just it just has something in it. Wow. It's an amazing thing. Tell me about what you've learned about the relationship. I mean, being a musician and having your own guitars, I, I presume you know this already, but have you learned anything new restoring other people's guitars about people's relationship with their instruments um not not particularly learning something new um i i just i i've always known that that um you know they're, they're like an extension they're like another limb mm -hmm. for many people you know um and uh, it's 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 a it's a transfer it's a conduit for for transferring energy. Uh, I find, and I, and I think most musicians would agree that that that's the it's a tool that transfers what's what's within them. You know, right. it, it comes through it. So um, it they're profoundly important pieces to work on. And uh, you can't take that for granted. Can you, can you screw up and do something that's unfixable? <laughs> Not to put that in your head, but at your, I mean, I presume that if you're as good as what you should be, then whatever you tackle, um, you can do. And there's probably nothing a challenge that, that would make things worse. Yeah, I mean, you, if well, if you're not careful about what you're doing, then of course you can. Yeah, you but can I mean, obviously, screw it up. Yeah, that's not you. Um, I hope not. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, yeah, there, there's you know there's there's jobs that go better than others. Mm -hmm. um, but really, you hope that you're not gonna gonna take away the uh, that intangible thing that, that I just spoke about. You know that the the thing that that you, you don't you don't know what what it is that makes that guitar great but it's a great guitar hopefully whatever i do doesn't affect that if anything it makes it better mm -hmm. or at least keeps it the same um really that's that's 
what I want to do. Um, you know, I want I want people to pick it up and want to keep playing it and not, not want to put it down. Um, but yeah, hopefully I don't subtract from that. That's really my ultimate goal. <laughs> yeah. And what have you learned from the last eight years of doing this? Um, uh, th- that I can do it. <laughs> That's important. You know, it's... It, it, it's uh, it's an amazing journey to be on, you know, I, I could have, I've got some pretty good credentials professionally. I could have gone out and got a job that you know, paid, paid considerably more, um, you know, sort of a corporate level mm-hmm. kind of job. I most likely would have been miserable within it. Um, At what point did you know that you, you love this job? Oh, every day. Yeah, every day. I love what I do. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I'm working with my hands, which is, um, is equally satisfying to me as playing guitar is, really. So uh, I, I get a great amount of solace out of that as well. Uh, it's very satisfying to me to, to, to be working with my hands because there's a creative element to that too. You know, mm-hmm. Although... Although you know, with every with every instrument, there's there's a sort of procedure that you go through. But because each one is different, um, you, you have a little there's there's a little measure of creative flexibility to it. And sometimes you'll encounter a job that that uh, you know once you peel back the layers, you realize there's a few more things that need to be done to make it right. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to find a creative way to do it. Um, hey, you know, we did that in the military fixing equipment in the military with you know lock wire and chewing gum for for a long time so you know i'm i'm quite familiar with finding creative ways to do things not that i've put lock wire or chewing gum on any guitars yet but but <laughs> not yet um, <laughs> but uh, you know hey if it's a, if it's a live situation whatever's going to get you through the gig right <laughs> when did you move into the store like how quickly did that happen um, that was rather serendipitous really i think I started looking um, about four years ago now. Because you, like you just didn't have enough room in your house? Oh, yeah, bursting at the seams. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was really difficult uh, because, because um, I have two wonderful kids who are in school, so, so I had to work around their schedule, my wife's schedule, and um, getting sort of stuck into work every day at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, was tricky, you know. So it wasn't only that I was bursting at the seams at home; it was just establishing a, a good work routine where I could have a good, solid, even just four or six hours right. worth of work, worth of um, production, was really difficult. So I needed to get out of there if I wanted to to pursue this to the extent that I wanted to. So uh, I started looking for properties. I knew that you know I wasn't going to be um, in a position to, to lease a commercial space. Um, so I had to look at buying one. And, and I was very fortunate to be in a position that I could do that. So I started looking and it was right at the time when, when uh, real estate in Hamilton just went crazy. Uh, everything went up by, by probably at least 30%, right. it seems, in, in about one or two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just skyrocketed, and um, I couldn't really find the type of property that I was looking for. 
so I, I looked for about four or five months and and uh, then summertime came and I just you know it's it's not going to happen it, the property is just out of control that's it this is just going to have to be a hobby business in my basement um, I'm not going to be able to really do what I what I would like to try and do and um, at the time uh, leading up to that I had done some work for uh, Grand Avenue Studio they have a, a nice selection of instruments there so I did a bunch of work uh, keeping their instruments up and running and uh, just sort of on a whim one day uh, at the end of summer you know kids went back to school and stuff like that and got back into that routine I, I said okay you know it's been about three or four months since I looked for anything let's see what's out there and I go online and right away there's a property right across the road from the studio at a really great price price to sell and I thought you've got to be kidding me really <laughs> like that's so um a week later I owned it wow <laughs> and uh yeah it happened very very fast and um you know went sort of crashing through the door there and and I, I didn't really know what what to expect or where I was going to go with it but uh but here I am <laughs> so that meant space for restoration and also retail space for guitars and That's right, other yeah. equipment. Yeah. How much of what you do is restoration and how much of it is running the store? Um, I, I'd say it's about, it's about 60-70% um, restoration guitar work or, or repairs right now. Right. Which is your love. Which is a passion, right. yeah. Yeah, I really love doing it. Um, I'd like to do a lot more retail wise. It's a small space, which is good. Uh, I don't, you know, like, uh, like some of the conglomerate shops, I don't have to fill a warehouse full of offshore made goods mm -hmm. that I need to sell in order to pay for the warehouse. <laughs> so I'm, I'm lucky that I can have sort of a, a, a boutique kind of setting that has mostly Canadian made products in it. And do you have a goal with the store, with the space? Um, yeah, I have a bit of an odd goal. Um, you, you hear, uh, you hear a lot of musicians in town, they talk, anybody, you know, always talks rather affectionately about, about music stores past, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, there's been loads of music stores come and go in Hamilton and everybody has a story about them. You know, they, they bought something there or they, or they sold something through there or they, you know, had a had a bad customer experience or a really really good one or, or whatever the case may be. But the, those those stores still exist, sort of in the lore, of, of um, the history of Hamilton music. You know, so at some point when I finally decide that I've had enough doing this, and I don't know when that's going to be, um, I, I just hope that people talk affectionately about their experience at Birchway Sound. <laughs> That's all. That's my goal. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think that's yeah. attainable. Um, I think. I hope so. So I presume that if anyone wants to check out your store online, it would be birchwaysound.ca. .ca. That's right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question about um, a project you're working on. Tell me about the 99 James North project. Well, we have a, one of the many record labels in Hamilton called Sonic Onion. has been around for 25 years now. Um, and they did uh, a major renovation to uh, a heritage building 
downtown Hamilton, right in the downtown core at, at uh, Main and James. And um, I, I mean, it was the kind of renovation that you know anybody anybody crunching numbers would probably say, you know what, just knock it down and build something new, <laughs> you know. But but uh, to their credit, they saved the building, and they salvaged these incredible beams of of Douglas fir. So this building was put up, um, I think, I could be wrong, but I think it was 1870, this building was put up. And at the time, these, these beams, these were structural beams. So they were, they were about at least 10 inches to 12 inches wide, and about four inches thick, mm -hmm. and 12 feet long. And they were structural beams of Douglas firs. So they were at least 100 years old when they were put in that building. And they salvaged them. And um, so, you know, you're looking at 250-ish year old Douglas fir, which is not unlike pine, really, uh, which is what the first Telecasters were built out of. So uh, one of the tenants in that building uh, called Cottage 13 Tattoos, um, they... They kept a few of the beams as well because they were part of the restoration process uh, before they moved in. And they came to us during Supercrawl last year, myself and, and one of the other builders, or one of the builders in town, um, Jay Gillard at Gillard Guitars. We had a booth set up for Supercrawl. And um, so the owner of Cottage 13 comes over with this chunk of wood <laughs> and he says, hey, do you think you could build a guitar out of this? We said, well, you know, maybe if it was a bit bigger, maybe. He said, well, uh, you know, how about 12 feet long by by 10 inches wide? And said, really? Let so me, when you say bigger, are you thinking that I need body of one size and neck of the other? Or do you think you need both? No, no, no. The, the Douglas fir really can only be used for the body. Okay. Yeah, it's not, not quite hard enough for the neck. Um, so we went and had a look and... Uh, and, you know, one thing led to another. He said, well, you know, I've got eight or ten or something of these beams. And I thought, my God, like, that's that's amazing. Yeah, we can build a guitar out of that for sure. And I think initially he just wanted a guitar built for his son. His son is a, is a real aficionado. And uh, I said, well, you know, is there any significant milestones coming up? He said, well, well yeah, actually, Cottage 13 is, is 20 years old this year. And he paused for a minute and he said, and Sonic Onion is 25. <laughs> I go, oh. I said, how many of these beams? I said, I wonder if we can build 25 guitars. So I, I spoke to uh, Jay Gillard. And I said, hey, Jay, guess what you're doing next year? <laughs> you're going to build 25 guitars for, for Sonic Onion. And, and thus was born the 99 James North Project, which is, which is the address of the building. Um, so, so we launched that project and um, proceeds are going to a wonderful, wonderful organization in Hamilton called An Instrument for Every Child, which, uh, which helps keep music in schools where it belongs. Good. Um, and uh, they do incredible work bringing music to, to youth of all ages all throughout the city. Uh, so we're happy to support them. Some proceeds are going towards that. Um, on the back 
of the guitars, we're sort of sort of uh, paying homage to the electrical history of Hamilton. It's an electric guitar, so um, back in the back in the olden days, there was a group of businessmen that were responsible for bringing hydroelectric power to Hamilton, thus making Hamilton the first city in North America to have electric streetlights, hmm. and that resulted in an, an incredible influx of industry because uh, people with manufacturing plants said, really, I can have electric power? I don't have to work with steam anymore? And you think about the, the boom that this caused right. uh, economically in Hamilton at the time was profound. So one of the uh, images that they had for, for uh, Hamilton Hydro at the time was this lady in a in sort of an evening gown type dress uh, holding up not unlike the Statue of Liberty holding up a, a light bulb and um, one of the artists at Cottage 13 Tattoos took that image and, and kind of redrew it and that's become the logo for the project and, and it's laser etched into the back of each guitar so wow. it looks, looks really wonderful so there's only 25 of them being made and, and after that we're breaking the mold so to speak uh, made by Gillard Guitars and there's a you know a, a guitar case full of swag um, pretty much everything on the guitar is made in Canada uh, even the guitar case is made in Canada and, uh, and lots of stuff within it so if anybody wants to buy this would yep. they go through you is that the way no uh, go through Gillard Guitars so if you, if you go through uh, Gillard Guitars either uh, on his website or, or through Facebook, you can find him. And there's a, a link there to the 99 James project. So he can actually make 25 guitars in one year? Yep. Is yeah. that, because I have no idea how many one makes, but well, is that doable? Is it, that... It, it, it is if it's, it's sort of all the same guitar. I mean, each one of those is quite different because, because the wood is, is um, uh, very unique. It's, it's kind of gnarly. It's got knots and, and holes and, and uh, old iron nails and things in it. It's really, really, really cool looking. So every guitar is going to be different, and he's doing something different for for each neck. Uh, you know, some of the inlays are a bit different. Um, we're making custom pick guards for them, and um, things like that. So each one is unique, but but really they're also very much the same as far as the manufacturing process goes. You know, it's, right. it's all the. It's the same scale length. It's the same amount of frets. It's the same, you know, nut width. It's the same, you know. So all of those elements are are similar. So um, to to do twenty five guitars as an independent builder, you can do that fairly efficiently if you if you sort of line things up properly. Yeah. Could he make more? Not not say. Does he still continue making other guitars during yeah. this time? Yeah, oh, he okay. does. Yeah, he's still doing he's still doing other custom work while he's making those. Right. So yeah, he's still uh, he's still churning out some pretty amazing builds. Yeah. What, a, what a cool project! Yeah, a really wonderful project to be part of. Yeah, and um, and again, supporting a, a terrific organization. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Well, Ed, thank you so much for doing this. Um, thank you. Sarah was one who requests who who suggested. Yes, can she, I talk to she, you? She says there. hello, <laughs> and I appreciate that because uh, when she, she says he's somebody worth talking to, I, I know it. <laughs> You are, so thank you so much for doing this. It was 
as I said, I don't know that many people who've served in, in the forces, and um, you give me a little insight into which, which I really appreciate. And, um, and sharing your love of music is wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.